need to adopt in the church what some have called a temple theology of the Bible. You see, God had a physical temple in Jerusalem. We see it throughout the Old Testament. He has a perfect temple located in heaven, which we now know as Jesus Christ, which we see according to John chapter 2. There is now a spiritual temple as well, known as the church, which is laid out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But he also has a personal temple that is scattered all around the world. And this particular temple declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, the reality is, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, that particular personal temple that is scattered all over the world, that is us. You see, we were bought at a price. We are not our own anymore. And so knowing this is the call that is now placed on our lives because of Jesus Christ, ask ourselves of the atonement, because of the crucifixion, death, and rum dry. Now Jesus is actually going to address the issue of dry faith in our text today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you now to turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in, verses, uh, in verse 12. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, and you can and you are able, I would invite you to now stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now, this is the gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ, as recorded by Mark. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12, he writes, And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its root. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you for your trespasses. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now. 
And Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we've had today to to just simply be in your house worshiping you. Father, we thank you for our time already spent in the word through our Sunday schools and our small groups. Father, we thank you that today already in this service we've had the opportunity to worship you in song. We've been able to worship you through giving. And Father, we pray now that in these next few moments, prepare our hearts and our minds as we prepare to worship you through the study of your word. Lord, we ask and pray that you and you alone would be glorified in these next few moments. Father, search us and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Father, today, through your word, help us to see what it is that our faith looks like. And God, in our actions and words, may you and you alone be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, to go ahead and set the scene for you, Jesus has now made his triumphal entry and concluded his day examining the temple. We see all this take place uh, back in verse 11. Now, what would happen is it would soon become evident that Jesus Christ did not like what it was that he saw and something needed to change. You see, the people and the place that was meant to be a light to the nations has now become a den of robbers, according to verse 17. You see, the temple had now become a hideout, if you will, for the religious crooks and the outlaws of Jesus' day. And so the new status quo was not acceptable in the eyes of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was about to respond to a people of dry faith. Now, these were the same people who had received his grace, who had received his goodness, and all of a sudden they were failing and now living a life in disobedience. So Jesus, at this moment, has seen enough. And so what we have to ask ourselves today is this. How would Jesus Christ respond to us today if we were living a life of disobedience within the church? Now, what I want to do over the next few moments is I want to unpack this text, and we'll walk verse by verse to find out together how Jesus would respond to us and our faith today. You see, we look at verses 12 through 14. Now, it is the day after the triumphal entry. Jesus and the disciples have left Bethany, and they now head back to the temple. And the text tells us that Jesus was hungry. Again, we're seeing a human element of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens next will actually become one of the most controversial miracles performed by our Lord. You see, Jesus in this moment, according to some modern-day scholars and also devout atheists, would now be accused of being spoiled and therefore practicing vindictive fury because he did not get his way with the fig tree. Now, let's just pause for a moment and understand this passage. You see, in Jesus Christ, there is no anger here. In Jesus in this moment, there is no malice. And Jesus Christ is certainly not throwing a temper tantrum. 
All of a sudden, Jesus, in the midst of his glory, in the midst of what would be the final moments of his life, he all of a sudden didn't stop and say, hey, I have performed all these miracles, I have done all this wonderful stuff, and now I need a snack. And since I am not getting a snack, I'm going to cross my arms, stomp my feet, and fall down and pitch a fit like a four-year-old would. That's not what we see Jesus doing. Rather, what we have here and what we are about to see is an object lesson or an acted out parable of our Lord's judgment upon Israel. What we will see is this, that there are those who will put on a show and do not produce. For those people, they will fall under the judgment of God. Now, Jesus walks from Bethany. He then sees a fig tree in leaf, even though it is not yet the season for figs, according to the text. Now, the presence of the leaves on the tree would indicate that the tree would have had fruit on it. Now, just to note this particular fig tree, this was not the type of fig that was all that tasty. It was edible, and it would have relieved the Lord's hunger, but it wasn't the tastiest fig that you could find. Now, what we see in the tree is that the tree had no fruit. We see that the leaves promised one thing, but they did not produce. In other words, here's what we have in these verses. We have a hypocritical fig tree that was saying, I have all the fruit that will meet your needs, and yet when we arrive at the tree, there is no substance, and therefore we have been deceived. Now sadly, this is what the nation of Israel had become. You see, the temple and the leaders who oversaw the temple, the Sanhedrin, they had given an outward appearance of great devotion to God, but they were proven to be hypocrites. I mean, think about the temple in this moment as Jesus comes to it. You see, Gentiles were restricted to the outer courts for worship. The poor, when they became to the temple, were being exploited by merchants. Sure, the temple had grown, but it was all a scam. So like we will see with the tree, Jesus was coming to curse them for it by the time we get to verse 14. You see, even though the temple was large in size, with many people being there, There was no gospel. There was no word of God being proclaimed. There was no God found by those who were there needing salvation. The temple, which which once stood as a beacon of hope for the world to see, had now become a faint flicker of light that would soon be extinguished if not changed. You see, here's the reality. If the Lord can judge a fig tree, then what makes us think he wouldn't judge the temple as well? If the Lord can judge a fig tree, then what makes us think for a moment 
that he would not judge our churches today. And so we have to ask ourselves at this moment, are we here as believers professing fruit of righteousness fully devoted to our Lord? Or are we nothing more than dry, dying leaves left in the wake of the sterile religion of ritualism and profession? You see, Charles Spurgeon says it best. He says, the great majority of persons who have any sort of religion at all bears leaves. But for those people, they still produce no fruit. You see, as a church, as believers in Christ, both individually and corporately, we need to guard ourselves against hypocrisy. We need to guard ourselves from self-deception. This occurs when we think we are one thing, when we are actually another. This occurs when we come into the church and we begin to ask questions like, when are we going to do what I want to do? You see, that should never be the question for any of us in the church. Rather, our question should be when we come into worship is this, how will I experience the Lord Jesus Christ according to his word? What is it that Jesus Christ has called us to according to his word? You see, it should never be about us. It should only be about the glory of God. You see, Again, if we are not careful and we make this place an idol to ourselves, we need to understand that Jesus will call hypocrisy. And when he calls hypocrisy, as we see in the text, Jesus Christ will curse hypocrisy. Now let's continue on. Now the prophets often spoke of Israel by the symbol of a fig tree. We see this back in Jeremiah chapter 8, again in Jeremiah chapter 29, Hosea 9, Joel chapter 1, and again Micah chapter 7. Thus why we can make the comparison from this particular fig tree and the curse to what is actually happening in Jerusalem. So when we go back to our text this morning, Jesus then responds to the hypocrisy of the tree by saying, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. So when we read that the disciples heard these words from Jesus, we can now conclude that they became eyewitnesses to this particular event. But don't miss Jesus's point that he is making here. He is teaching us that fruitlessness now may result in fruitlessness forever. Now, remember this about Jesus Christ as we gather to worship him. Jesus does not need us. We are the ones who desperately need him. We are the ones who need him to save us, to make us useful, to make us fruitful and not turn the church into some sort of religious club of hypocrisy. You see, we need to realize that Jesus sees all, Jesus knows all, and he will expose us for who and what we truly are. We go on from there to verses 15 through 19. And now we move into the section that is often referred to as 
the cleansing of the temple. Now, actually, um, I, I do appreciate those words. However, I do believe that instead of saying the cleansing of the temple, it should probably be more like the condemnation of the temple or Jesus's critique of false religion. You see, the acted out parable of the cursed fig tree now finds its fulfillment and reality in our Lord's assault on those he calls a den of robbers. So Jesus now enters the temple and he begins to wreak havoc on those who sold animals for sacrifice and those who exchanged money. He also blocks the shortcut that allows people to go from one side of the temple to the other. So we see, like Christ, that the people, as Jesus entered, had no respect and no reverence for worship. Now this moment is important because during the Passover, Jerusalem again could swell roughly to three to ten times its normal size. So this would have been a normal pilgrimage for most people. And because it was a normal pilgrimage, that pilgrimage often involved people bringing an acceptable sacrifice to the temple for worship. Now here's what would happen. Here's what Jesus saw. When people arrived with their sacrifice, most of them were turned away and forced to buy an approved animal that was approved clearly by the Sanhedrin, of course. Now, what would ultimately happen is they'd be forced to buy an animal that was roughly 16 times the normal price of the animal. In fact, to buy a pigeon in order to sacrifice it, or two pigeons, that would have been 25 cents. However, at the time of Passover in the temple, the Sanhedrin was now charging anywhere between four to five to six, almost upwards to ten dollars. They were taking advantage of the people. The money changers who were there were exchanging foreign currency into Jewish currency, and they were doing it at an outrageous fee. So Jesus saw all of this. He saw their extortion. He saw their bribery. He saw their greed. He saw their dishonesty. And so Jesus gets physical in righteous rage and indignation. Jesus, burning with passion and purity, decides in this moment it is time to clean house and restore the temple of God to its rightful purpose for the moment. You see, we need to realize in this moment that those who promise one thing but deliver another will stand condemned before our righteous judge. Now we get to verse 17, which brings us to the heart of the Lord's anger. This text tells us that he began teaching them. And so Jesus here goes on to quote Isaiah 56, verse 7, which says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Then he cites Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, which tells us, But you have made it a den of robbers. Now notice this. When you read the Gospels, Mark is the only gospel that includes the phrase, for all nations. Now, to understand this particular phrase, 
we have to look back at Isaiah chapter 56 and see it in its entire context, particularly in verse 3, where it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, when it comes to God's temple, Jesus is teaching that God's temple is to be a house of prayer. God's temple is to be a place of worship that attracts and blesses the nations. Like the church today, the temple was not meant to be a shrine to be admired. It was not meant to be a shrine that was praised and therefore would not exhibit geographical, national, racial, or ethnic segregation and discrimination. In fact, when we read John Piper's book in the book Bloodlines, he says this of the temple, the new people that he, being Jesus, is calling into existence is defined not by race or ethnicity or political ties, but by producing the fruit of the kingdom. In other words, faith in Christ is, mark, is a mark of the kingdom. So you see, Israel, like our churches today, miss the point. They miss the point that we should be concerned for the nations. And therefore, their faith had gone dry because of it. Now, by quoting Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus here is declaring the fulfillment of that ominous prophecy that his symbolic act in the temple is, is revealing. This comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 29, lays it out perfectly for us. You see, for the Jews, they believed that when the Messiah came, he would purge the temple of the Gentiles. But rather, when Jesus comes... He cleanses the temple for the Gentiles. Israel's show and Israel's fanfare was an empty embarrassment. Instead of bringing people into God's presence, they made it where no one could find him. So Jesus in this moment says, enough. His protest caught the attention of the Sanhedrin, according to verse 18, because he called them out. Now, it should be no wonder to us as to why they now wanted to destroy him. We also see in this moment that the crowd was astonished. In other words, they were not sure of what to make of Jesus' teaching. And so Jesus, in his sadness, in his grief, he leaves and he goes back to Bethany in verse 19. Now, at this point, as you're reading this text, I would imagine that as Jesus is leaving... I would imagine that this would have been enough to discourage him. But then notice this about our passage. It doesn't end there because tomorrow would bring another day of teaching. And so Jesus would continue to press on according to the will of God. We get into verses 20 through 25. And here Mark concludes the fig tree and the temple story with lessons on faith lessons on prayer, and lessons on forgiveness. We see that these are the very things that should have been found throughout God's 
temple. And so the fig tree story here brackets and interprets the temple story. Jesus did not come simply to cleanse the temple. Yes, the temple had failed at its divine, uh, uh, divine assignment, and ultimately it would be destroyed. No, what Jesus does in this moment is he sees this moment as an opportunity to teach the disciples more of the spiritual truths of faith, more of the spiritual truths of grace, and more about forgiveness. So you see in verses 20 through 24, when they passed the fig tree the next day, they noticed it was dead, according to verse 20. Now Jesus here teaches that we should not weep over a dead tree. Rather, what we should weep over are dead people, or better yet, a dead temple. In fact, John chapter 15, verse 6 warns us that if anyone does not remain in me, this being Christ speaking, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw uh, them into the fire, and then they are burned. Now, when speaking of this passage, Sinclair Ferguson notes, the question of our spiritual fruitfulness is one of immense seriousness, which we ignore at our peril. That question, that truth is this. Jesus Christ means what he says. Now we get back to our text. Jesus here responds, his response here actually seems a bit out of place. He looks to the disciples after they notice the fig tree and notice what he says to them. He says to them, have faith in God. Now, Jesus reminds them that he is and he always will be faithful even when the religious establishment fails. You see, we need to trust the one who extends grace to those who seek him in faith. And then what happens in our text is we then see the mountain hyperbole. This moment represents what appears to be impossible, immovable, and beyond our ability. And this is where Jesus teaches us that faith begins. You see, a faith that believes is one that taps into God's power in order to accomplish God's purpose. Andrew Murray said it this way. He said, we serve, we have a God who delights in impossibilities. So you see, as believers in Jesus Christ, when we, according to the text, pray in faith, we need to realize that prayer is not about getting God to change his will for our plans. Rather, it is a passionate pursuit to see God's will, to see God's plan accomplished within us. So as we pray, let's pray a mountain-moving faith. And we will see that our God will give us what we need to glorify him. Notice what I didn't say there. God is not going to just abundantly bless you. God is not going to look to you and tell you, if you touch the screen and pay $20, you will be abundantly blessed. No, notice what the text says. We see that our God will give us what we need 
to glorify him. Again, it's not about us. It's about his will for his glory. So when we pray, we need to trust not only in his power to give us what it is that we ask, but also in his wisdom to give us what it is that we need. Now we move into verse 25, and Jesus teaches here on forgiveness. We have been forgiven through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, a forgiveness that is freely and graciously given to us that can now be graciously and freely given to others. We then see the theme of prayer, which now finds its uh, contextual connection in the fact that God's temple is now a house of prayer for all nations. You see, Jesus was, Jesus is that temple for us. And now through him, Jews, pagans, unclean Gentiles can find the Savior for the nations. We now receive forgiveness freely from our Father who watches over all of the earth. And so what we need to realize is this. There is not a single person on this planet who cannot be pierced at the heart by the Spirit of God. Do you know what that means for us as believers? We have work to do. We have people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We have people that we need to be praying for, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have family members who need to hear the gospel. We have the greatest news to give, and so we should be the ones who share. Now, we must ask ourselves at this point, what does our faith look like? Are we like the fig tree? Are we like the temple? Are we dry and withered? Are we like the temple and in need of a spiritual cleansing are we as believers in Christ, are we willing to pay the price to grow in our faith and to open the doors to allow all peoples to come and experience the good news of Jesus Christ? Or are we going to be like the Jews during Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin? Are we going to close our doors? Are we going to exploit people? Are we going to spend more time hurting them because we care more about ourselves than we do the message of Jesus Christ? You see, here's the reality for us today, and we, we have the perfect visual for it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, shameless plug, yes, this was planned. This was totally planned by God's grace through prayer, through conversations with the pastoral staff that then led to a conversation with our buildings and grounds committee. But here's the reality. Here's the, here's the perfect visual. You see, we enter through red doors for worship. You see, when we enter through those doors, they serve as a reminder of the atoning work of Jesus Christ and why we can come here and freely worship him. That's what they represent. 
But then here's the beauty of it all. We are going to leave today through the red doors in order for this reminder to be reminded that we are called to live out the faith. We are called by Jesus Christ to tell the world what Christ has done on our behalf. Again, not about us, all about the glory of God because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. You see, we serve a great and mighty God. We serve the one who deserves better than a dry faith. And so are we prepared to give him our best today? That is a question that we now must answer. This is where we find ourselves as a church. Are we a faith that is fruitful or has our faith run dry? Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be here, to be in this place and to worship you. God, we ask and pray that in these next few moments, Lord, search us, know our hearts, test us, know our anxious thoughts. Father, reveal to us what it is that our faith looks like. Father, we pray today that as we now enter into this time of communion, Father, we ask that as we take of the bread and we drink of the cup, let us be reminded of your atoning work. And Father, may we celebrate you and praise you because it is because of your blood that we are able to come and worship. We are able to come and hope in a future that is promised with you in the kingdom of God. But Father, I also pray, we pray that as we take communion today, may we be reminded that there is still work to be done. There are still people who need to hear the good news. So, Father, for this campus, for this church, and again, we're not, we're not talking about the buildings. We're talking about our hearts today. For this family of God, search us and know us. Father, if our faith has run dry, forgive us. If we've made this place about us, forgive us. And Father, I pray that by your grace, filled with your spirit, we would move forward in making you known. Now, God, prepare our hearts as we prepare to take communion today. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we've now come to a time of our service where normally we have a response time here, but what we're going to do today is we're actually going to end our service with communion. At this time, I'm going to ask our pastoral staff and our deacons to go ahead and come forward, grab the elements, guys, and go ahead and take your place. And as they're coming forward, I'm going to ask you to take a few moments to reflect, to pray. Maybe you need to take a few moments and, and just ask God to forgive you for where your faith has been dry. Maybe you need to take a few moments and, and pray with your spouse, pray with a family member, a loved one beside you. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive in your life. Do that before you come and take the elements. But then when you're prepared, 
If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then this moment is for you today. What we're going to ask is this, is if you're sitting in this center aisle or the center section over here, we're going to ask you to come down this, this aisle right here, receive the bread, receive the cup, filter back up through the center aisle, and then just sit, reflect, pray, and wait. We'll take communion together. If you're sitting over here today, this, this center section here, this section here, we're going to ask you to come down this aisle here, receive the bread, receive the cup, come back up through the center aisle and go have a seat and just pray and reflect for a moment. And again, we will take communion together. If for some reason you're unable to come forward and take communion, we have people who are prepared to come bring it to you. What I want us to do in these next few moments, this is not a somber moment. This is a celebration. You see, we gather because of the atonement. We gather because of the work of Jesus Christ. We gather because of the broken body and the blood that was spilt. We gather because we know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and one day we too will be reunited with him in the kingdom of God. So we take communion today to be reminded of that. But let's also take communion today to be reminded that there are people around us who need this message as well. I pray that today's communion would be a reminder of what our faith should look like. A faith that is living and active and passionately pursuing the Lord for the glory of God. So in just a moment, whenever you're prepared, Dylan will start playing on the piano. You come down and receive the elements and then we'll take them together as one faith family. This is now your time. You come as you're prepared.